For past, present, and future law students, bringing you information to help your career. This is the Law School Show. Rishi, coming at you long distance. Thank you, Skype, for making it happen. And also, thank you, Mom, for really making it happen for all of us. Rishi, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you too, my man, and happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers who are not listening to our show today, but who are spending time with their loved ones. Thank you for to all of you, and enjoy your Mother's Day. Chris, how are you feeling there? I'm feeling good. Uh, planning out. The bar materials are, are dense, but I'm in control. I got my study plan. It's all happening. And you know what? There's still time for interviews for the law school show, especially when it comes to Ryerson's Law Practice Program and speaking with the one and only Andre Bacchus. Exactly. This was our second interview with Mr. Bacchus. Our first one we launched as episode number eight, where we spoke about the, how the Law Practice Program functions, what do the first four months entail, and what does the placement look like, and any other information about the Law Practice Program and its functioning we covered in that episode. What do we cover in this episode, Chris? We're talking about updates. The inaugural class that went through the LPP has now graduated, so there's a lot to talk about. For example, how many of those graduates were placed into positions? Were they paid? Are they getting hired back? Andre speaks to all those points. Exactly, and he also covers some of the feedback that he has received from the students as well as from the employers and some of the changes that will be made to the law practice program next year based on some of the trends that Andre is seeing in the legal industry. It was cool to get his perspective on that because it is a valuable one. Some updates for you to remember if you are interested in joining the LPP is that May 29, 2015, coming up in a couple weeks, is the deadline to register. Also, there is a LPP info webinar being held on May 13 that is open to anyone who is interested in more information. You can get all of that at the Ryerson LPP website. Check it out. Definitely, and we will also include all of this information in our show notes. And we hope that all of you are enjoying the summer and subscribing to The Law School Show on iTunes, on Stitcher, and visiting our website, thelawschoolshow.com. And you know what? The best thing you can do to help out is tell a friend. And then tell us what you want to hear about next. Enjoy the conversation with uh, Mr. Andre Bacchus. Rishi, take care, man. We'll see you soon. Let's do it. Andre Bacchus. Andre, how are you? Very good. Thanks for coming by. No problem. Rishi, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having us here. On a beautiful sunny day when you can be outside having fun, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or Or studying for the bars. (laughs) Yeah, studying for the bar, yeah. Well, your uh, new space looks phenomenal. Congratulations on the move. Thank you. Thank you. We really love the new space. It's a great space for collaboration and a great space to house all the different innovations that we're working with. Sure. Very good. Okay, so as we mentioned in the intro, um, episode eight with Andre, check back on that for all the nuts and bolts about the law practice program. But for anyone who is tuning in for the first time, asking what is LPP, Andre, why don't you give the the high-level description of what the program is all about? So basically, as we touched upon in our uh, original program, the LPP is really a practical and rigorous alternative to the traditional articling model. It's an eight-month program divided into two components four months of a practical legal training component from August to December, where candidates are involved in running their own virtual firm. They're exploring seven different areas of law and working in 70 plus different tasks that allow them to really get uh, the opportunity to experience what it's like to be in practice, but also develop those core skills they're going to need, not just to get called to the bar, but to also find success down the road uh, when they're in their own practices, whatever that might be. Uh, Once they've completed successfully the uh, training component, they then move into a four-month work placement from January to April. So our candidates are currently wrapping up many of the work placements at the moment. And during the work placement, they get an opportunity to further refine and develop the skills they gained during the training component. But they also get a chance to be exposed to different practice styles and different ways of doing things within practice. They also get a chance to bring some of their new ideas that they gained during the training component to the practices they're involved with, whether they be in-house, government, legal clinic or private practitioners and small practices across the province. So it really is an opportunity to be able to, for them to 
build and grow those skills, but to also sort of dig deeper into areas they may have an interest into. Um, the types of things that candidates are involved with during the training component and during the program, from cross-examinations to interviewing clients, interviewing witnesses, uh, arguing motions, docketing their time, uh, closing a real estate transaction, getting the opportunity to do practical research and give practical answers to uh, clients who need that information, not theoretical, not essay writing, not doing the things necessarily that are uh, what you might do in law school for much of the time. This is all about practicing, all about getting those core and real skills. Uh, the candidates also have a chance as part of the entire process to be able to refine their other skills beyond just the legal realm. So their soft skills, negotiation skills, and local skills, skills that allow them to uh, develop their communication ability, both in writing and when they're arguing, so that whatever career path they choose, if they even choose not to be in the law afterward, they've got core skills they can leverage. But more importantly, if they choose to be in the law, in whatever area of practice, they can hit the ground running and they've got some tools to take them down the way. Nice. nice. So before we go a bit deeper into the law practice program and what has happened and all the exciting things that have happened over the last year, what is your role with the program itself? Sure. As the assistant director of the program, uh, my involvement focuses primarily on the work placement. So that four-month period from January to April where the candidates are going to be in their placements. So we spend a lot of time helping the candidates get prepared for the work placement process, meaning identifying opportunities, getting them ready with their materials to apply to positions that we have posted, but also importantly, conducting the outreach that they also want to do in areas that they have an interest in. So my team, uh, my two coordinators and myself, along with the broader team here at the LPP, we're always looking out for new employers and speaking to folks about the program, but our main goal is to ensure that we're getting folks to be able to understand what the program is about and to also consider our candidates for potential placements. And one of the big selling points about the program is that the candidates will hit the ground running and that also uh, the four-month work placement is a lot shorter than the 10-month articling placement uh, that folks might be in. So a number of employers have opened their doors on that, on that point for us as well. Fantastic. So having, been, having gone through the program for the first time this, uh, this past year, talking about placements, what kind of percentage of placements the students have? And uh, because that's one of the questions that's on top of mind for a lot of people. Well, we began originally with the program uh, back in September uh, or early, uh, early September, late August with about 260 candidates. We're now down to 221 candidates. Uh, and the reason for that is that a number of candidates in the beginning of the program may have determined and realized that maybe they weren't ready yet for the rigors of our program and the practical training that's involved. Um, it is a truly a rigorous program. It's a full-time commitment. Uh, you've got to be able to um, uh, you know, deal with the things that come up at the last moment where it happens in real life when a client has a matter that, are, that comes up you've got to deal with on a Friday night or a weekend or you've got to be able to appreciate that you know, getting uh, that right answer for a client might take some time. So it is rigorous and it requires you to be fully committed. So some folks maybe realized that they couldn't do that. So in the first couple of weeks, we had some folks withdraw mm -hmm. as a result of that. We also had some folks who uh, were debating between staying in the program and maybe a new article rule that had come up for them. And a number of them chose to stay in the program because they felt it would give them a more fulsome experience as part of it. And we had a couple who decided that they would take the article rule that came their way and, and, and move on. And that was completely fine. So the 221 folks who uh, completed the training component were then eligible to start their work placements. And all 100% of those candidates wow. landed work placements. So all 221 of them. And uh, they've been, thank you, thank you. They've been succeeding in them. And uh, the feedback from employers has been tremendous. That's interesting because we sat down around Thanksgiving in 2014. And at that point, yeah. it was 85%. percent mm -hmm. was looking at the placement rate. So yeah. things are moving quick. Yeah, yeah. They moved very, very quickly. And it was a very intense December, to say the least. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, let's just that's say right up your yeah, yeah, <laughs> that we, we put the hours in to make sure that it happened. And we also worked well with our candidates and our employers to ensure that it happened come January. So... Everybody started out their work placements and were able to, to you know, literally hit the ground running because we had employers who were expecting that and wanted that, and we had told them that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we made sure the candidates were ready for that. There was a lot of programming that we had for them pre-placement, much like happens within your organizations. I think when you started your summer job and you will start your articling opportunity um, where folks uh, are going to give you some tips on uh, ways to succeed and maybe survival tips in general 
of how to manage and cope. And we did that as well for our folks to give them that uh, opportunity to be able to be out there and to find success when, when they're there. So that took some time and we um, also worked with them to make sure that people landed where they wanted to land as much as possible. I want to get your opinion on a perspective that um, is held amongst some of our peers. That being, and, and you mentioned that um, some candidates are, are withdrawing at a certain point for one reason or another. So when it comes to committing to the law practice program um, in terms of committing your licensing process, are there, a lot of people are thinking, okay, uh, I don't want to commit because then I'll forego the opportunity of traditional articling. Whereas I think Rishi and I have galvanized the perspective of, well, just commit to doing it and you're still completely open to either complete the licensing process through the LPP or withdraw from the LPP and then doing a traditional articling right. position if that comes up. Is that legitimate? Um, My encouragement to candidates is to think about what it is they hope to get out of the entire process. And, mm -hmm. and in fact, uh, if they committing to the program early and they having to withdraw can work up to a point. Um, we wouldn't want candidates to be in the program for a month and then withdraw or, or six weeks and then withdraw because it's a bit of a disruption for the other candidates who are part of their virtual firm mm -hmm. to the process of what's happening as well. But at the same time, we do recognize that things happen. Um, and for those candidates who, have, who were having articling roles come up while they were in the program and decided to stay, they made that choice based on everything that they saw that was happening. In fact, uh, one of the frequent refrains we got was, uh, I'm getting exposure to work and files that I would never be able to do in that role that's coming my way right now. Mm -hmm. I'd be stuck in this narrow box here and be able to only focus on this, but here I can actually touch seven areas of law, be exposed to all the different tasks that incompetencies the law society wants us to get exposure to, and that are essential for success, um, and they're, uh, they're making the decision based on that. So. I say whatever opportunity you're going to consider and look at, look at what you want to get out of it and look at where you want to end up being. Um, but for sure, if you can get in by the deadline of this year, May 29th, uh, that's wonderful. And um, you know, if something were to change with you, by all means, let us know. And in fact, we're on track for the same and a few more uh, people in the program at the moment uh, than we have with the current group. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's already started to hit. Those so it's numbers. right around two hundred thirty. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And we still have a few more weeks of May left to go. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that shakes out. Okay. All right. And the other one, other misconception that people have, which we should clarify, is: are there, is there any other additional cost associated with LPP or no? No additional cost. And in fact, I'm I'm grateful that you raised it because we even had some employers who were asking us the same question, mm -hmm. and we we really had to explain this and break it down that the licensing fee that each of you, whether you're articling or you're in the LPP paid at the Law Society is the same fee. No one pays rights on anything extra. No one sends anything to the LPP, whether it be the candidate or the employer. There's mm -hmm. none of that. In fact, what you pay is the Law Society directly, and we are contracted by the Law Society to deliver this program, to develop, deliver, and assess the program as we go. So um, it's not, um, there's nothing extra for anybody on that front. Why don't we stay on work placements for the moment? Yeah. Um, what kind of response are you getting from legal employers about the LPP candidates that sure. they're Well, it, it's funny that you asked that question right now because I just came from a corporate counsel advisory board meeting. Uh, we actually have a group of corporate counsel who have volunteered to be on our board of advisors around the LPP. These are also employers uh, that come from uh, major corporations who in many instances have our candidates. And we want their feedback. We wanted their feedback in the beginning when we were developing the program. We wanted their feedback throughout. And now we're getting their feedback now that they've experienced their candidates. Mm -hmm. And in a number of instances in that room, there have been job offers extended to those candidates. And one of the employers actually said she chose to hire her LPP candidates over the art students that she had hired wow. uh, uh, as part of the same timing. Wow. Um, so that was wonderful to hear. In fact, the, the refrain was that you did say they were going to hit the ground running, and we didn't believe you, but they delivered. They were able to understand when they came in what a file was, how to do this, how to do that, what this meant, and uh, they could help them in their practice immediately, which was, was wonderful. And that value came across in the work that they were doing, but in also uh, the ability to contribute to what was happening in that person's practice. So a number of these corporations were getting the benefit of that and realized that if they hadn't been planning on adding someone to their team, 
maybe this was the right opportunity and they've decided to do that so we were very very grateful to hear it um, there's some you know things that we can improve upon that they mentioned as well uh, when it comes to from a timing uh, of the hiring process and in fact we realized ourselves last year what a tight time frame we had to work with uh, I think I mentioned to you guys that we were building the plane and flying at the same time last year. So are, yeah. are you speaking to maybe the end of December toward the beginning of January when the work term begins as the hiring period? Or? Well, the hiring period for us began at, in, at the end of August. So okay. we opened up hiring from that point forward to until the end of December. But this year we're opening it up from mid-summer right to the end of December. So we're actually going to have an earlier round of hiring where we can, if we have enough employers who want to be involved with that and be able to hold out opportunities and do their interviews over the summer and make their selections, happy to do it, happy to. So for those who are able to, and we told them in the room, you know, I'm glad that they suggested it um, because we had actually been doing, thinking about it ourselves. So we're going to see how that unfolds, depending on how many employers commit to doing that early, because we also know that people have things that happen over the summer, their vacations and all the rest of it. We'll be here, we'll be working away. But if they're around and they want to do that, we're more than happy to work with them so on that. So would that be a conditional offer on completing the training component of the LPP? It would be. Okay. So um, all of our hiring for the entire program works on that premise. Mm -hmm. So if someone does not complete the training component uh, successfully, they will not be able to start their work placement. And that's uh, the way it works. And the employer understands that, the candidate understands that. Because everyone's going into this with opportunities for beginning in January. So it's got to all happen uh, that way. Mm -hmm. But um, this is also going to happen from the perspective of the candidates not necessarily having officially started the program at the end of August. We're actually going to try to do our best to pre-program uh, in the summer to help them get the material together and then help them to get their place pro account set up so they can apply to positions. And if we have enough employers who committed to it, we'll open it up so they can start applying and get the process rolling from there. That will be great from the student's perspective as well because then they can get the job application all of that out before they even get into the program and then they can focus solely on the program instead of having to go Juggle, to exactly. exactly. And that was a big, that was some of the commentary we got from candidates as well that they would love to, because the training component is so busy, they would love to have not that need to go interview here, interview there, yeah. and get it out of the way. This again is all contingent on uh, enough employers having the ability and the time to do it. As we all know, budgets are constantly changing uh, for employers. Um, like I said, people have their personal commitments as well, including vacation. If folks are away in August and can't interview in August, then that's going to be a part of it as well. But we'll see. We'll see how, how it unfolds. Uh, we're definitely open to improvements and making changes, and we'll roll and learn from those as we go forward. Uh, that's all part of this entire process. Also, another talking about work placement still, there, another question that people have is how many of the placements were paid? Right. And also, how many of those placements will hire back students on a continuation basis? Sure. So let me take the question about payment first. Um, coming into this process, our goal was to deliver as many paid opportunities as possible. Um, but we didn't know what the market was like. We didn't know what the conditions would be. We all knew the legal market was hurting as well. Um, so we went into it with, you know, here's our goal. We, we want to get as many as possible. Mm -hmm. But we knew we were looking at both paid and unpaid roles. And that's just the nature of what was going on. By the end of the process, we were able to say that 70 plus percent of our placements were paid opportunities uh, from minimum wage on upward. And in fact, many of our students who were hired into roles where existing Arlington students were already present were paid the same amount as their equivalent Arlington student. So whether it was at Goodman's or it was at Lenzner's or it's over um, at RBC or TD or Acon or BMO or CIBC, they paid them the same rate. Um, and, and that was wonderful to see because it, it, it was it's great because uh, that's how it should be um, if they're able to. Um, so we surprised ourselves by getting that 70% because we worked really hard to get there. Um, but our goal for the next round will be to try to get it to 100 if we can. But again, that's all contingent on the marketplace and what's out there. We don't decide what the employer pays. We always leave it up to the employer to determine what makes sense for them. Um, of course, we believe that folks are bringing value to someone's practice. Hopefully, they can find a way to make something work because mm -hmm. it would, in our view, it would only make sense. But again, we leave it up to the employer. So we'll see what happens. Um, so from that perspective, uh, it was it was a big success. Uh, we see it as a big success for ourselves uh, and a, you know a mountain that we were able to overcome. Uh, now we have the next one to climb uh, as we work on the next round of placements. Many of those employers that are participated in the last round 
have already committed to participating in the current round awesome. uh, of placement. So that's a testament to the quality of the candidates and their experience with the process. Um, we're also still following up with employers. Um, you know, we're, we're a small but mighty band that we have here in our team, but it takes time. Um, so the fact that placements, the majority of them just ended on Friday of last week, uh, we're continuing to do a follow-up with employers to be able to uh, find out who's coming back and also to get the, their information updated so we can be ready for the next round. Uh, you would ask me then how many uh, candidates are, are being kept on by their employer. Yes. What I can tell you is that we first probably want to think about the overall articling and licensing process in general before I answer that. And when you think about the fact that there are over 1,800 licensees every year in Ontario, so that's 1,800 people who register to go into licensing and who want to get called to the bar, whether they do articling this year or they do LPP or whatever it is they're doing. So let's say it's 1,800 plus. Um, of that 1,800 plus, the only higher back stats that exist that we are aware of are the ones for the very few 280 jobs that are on Bay Street, mm -hmm. really. You know, that's sort of where the only stats are for higher back. What about the remaining, let's say, 1,300 people who are out there articling? Let's say you even subtracted our people, and you're looking at that 1,300 group, let's say, that's, that's there. The majority of those individuals who are in articling roles will be looking for jobs in the marketplace after being called. They're not being hired back, right? The majority of them will be looking. Um, so when you have that context and that picture, when you come to discussing, you know, hire back, if you will, for our program, mm -hmm. you know, for us, it's icing on the cake. It was never our goal or intention to say that, you know, after this, you would have a job in this organization that you spent your work placement with. And we told our employers that, that we're not, you know, obliging them to that uh, because then they would never want to sign up with us because, you know, They've got their own things to manage. Of course. And we also didn't want candidates to go in with that expectation. So we were very clear. This is about your work placement. It's developing your core skills and refining them further and being exposed to different ways of practicing. So when employers started to tell us that they were now hiring our candidates back, and in fact, as I mentioned, the employer who mentioned at lunch today, that she chose the LPP candidate over the articling students to hire back, that was wonderful. That was great to hear. It's icing on the cake and it's great. So we have a number who've already told us that they're bringing uh, folks back on full-time. We have an even greater number, in fact, five times that amount, who are telling us they're extending contracts into the summer for these candidates. Awesome. Uh, and they're seeing what they can work on. So let's see what happens. Um, I think we'll, we'll know better toward the end of the summer how many roles translate into full permanent opportunities, if you look at it that way. And even what that would be because what's the definition of a permanent role mm -hmm. we know that even when it comes to hire back in some organizations when you look at even the bay street numbers it could be for six months mm -hmm. it could be a one-year contract who knows what it is right so it's a little bit of um uh of a specious thing to look at when it comes to um hire back percentages so i think the success will be the folks uh, getting out there uh, having those skills to be able to get their next opportunity, and for those who have been hired back, succeeding in those opportunities, and we'll see where it goes. I mean, the, the very fact that it is happening is testament that the rigors of the program is preparing licensees to work in the real world, in, yeah. in law. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's been the goal from the beginning. Exactly. If it, it, you know, it was never meant to be theoretical in any way. It was never meant to um, create any false sense of what to expect when you get out there. We wanted candidates to experience the rigor and, and, and have those sleepless nights when they're like, did I do that on the client file right? Or did I do this? Or they hadn't done that? Or, you know, getting that phone call Friday night, your client's in jail, or negotiating that business agreement, mm -hmm. or that separation agreement, or arguing that motion. They did that to develop those skills so when they were able to get to the employer, the employer could really see it. And these are folks who've been practicing for many, many years, who've hired our candidates. Mm -hmm. And um, they can judge what they're seeing. And... Uh, you know, they, it's been overall positive, which has been wonderful. So that's great. I, lo I love that the LPP is filling that practical gap in training. And speaking from my personal perspective only as someone who just finished 3L, I, I was wanting that in my third year of academia. And it was, I mean, I could create it myself in certain ways, but it would be nice if uh, set curriculum supported a bit more of a practical learning perspective. Um, well, before we began this interview, we were actually talking about uh, changes in the legal marketplace and what's happening down south. And 
one of the things that's going on in the U.S., I just came back from a conference a couple of weeks ago in Chicago where we were discussing that whole idea of practical legal training. And there were 1,700 uh, employers and law schools that were present. And uh, when you think about the changes that are happening, where some law schools have changed their third year into experiential learning and training, uh, others are making it as a requirement as part of their bar licensing that experiential training be included in order to get your license. I think folks are realizing that this is essential for not only for the benefit of the, the candidate and the licensee and the lawyer, but it's a benefit to the public and to the legal profession as a whole to ensure that we are putting folks out there who are truly qualified to serve. And uh, it's important. And I think in Canada and then in Ontario, maybe we're a little bit ahead of the game from the perspective that we've got the LPP up and running. Now it's a matter of getting, you know, not just the folks who've been working with us, the 400 plus lawyers who've been part of the work placements, the mentoring, the curriculum development, the assessments, but getting beyond that 400 group of lawyers to the 46,000 plus lawyers in the province and helping people to understand what it is about so that they can open their minds and their their practices to uh, what's happening and realize the benefit that comes with it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think uh, it's, you know, if things continue the way they do, hopefully we'll be able to convince more and we'll get more and more people telling their stories as they get out there. That's awesome. The, the first four months, before, before we ask you about... Uh, all the learnings that you've had in the last year, the first four months of LPP program, the, the actual training component right. of it, is that graded or how are people, is there an evaluation process there were, in their place? There were over 70 different tasks the candidates were involved with during the training component. In fact, I've got a handout that we use with our employers and our mm -hmm. candidates now that has uh, a picture on the back of it. You know, when you're typically, when you're um, looking at... Uh, uh, internet traffic or other things, you sort of get diagrams to show you in bigger and smaller font, um, you know, the number of hits something has had or the mm -hmm. frequency of usage. We've used a similar diagram to help illustrate all the different tasks that candidates have been involved with. And the moment an employer sees that or a candidate sees it, they're like, wow, I can't believe you did this, did this, did this. And, and we're like, well, not all 70 are there. This is just a sampling of what's there, and there's yeah. plenty more. Um, each of those 70 different tasks were assessed. They were assessed by practitioners, by mentors, uh, by lawyers uh, to be able to give feedback. So it wasn't a grade that people received. They received an assessment to let them know if they're developing, if they're meeting, and if they're exceeding when it comes to the expectations for that particular task and that particular piece of work. So they were able to get that feedback and, and learn from it. They were able to get that feedback and leverage it as they went forward. And I think by giving them a constant set of information, they were able to see how they also progressed. So it's not that one time you're going you're to work on your communication skills or one time on your research skills or one time on your analytical skills. In fact, many of these tasks require those skills on an ongoing basis. So in, in, in you know, preparing a particular piece of uh, drafting for the separation agreement, you're also doing something for the business agreement. You're also doing something maybe in the litigation context as well. So that ability to write and communicate is being leveraged and analyzed, and you're getting assessed on it, and, and people are seeing that development from where you began to where you ended up toward the end. And we saw that progression for many of our candidates, mm -hmm. and that was helpful. So they are assessed throughout, and it's always by lawyers. Yeah. It, it, it is in no way academic at all. Yeah, no, we, uh, I was very happy last time when we came and we spoke that you had lawyers coming in and almost being managing partners for the different firms and evaluating and providing those kind of evaluations because it's, that, that's the constant feedback that makes the individual better and not just the individual grade that they might get at the and, end of the day. And we all know that when we get that feedback, it, it wants you to rise to the challenge and to be able to, to do better. And at the same time, it's what happens in real life, right? Um, so in each of your roles, uh, when you were summering and will be articling, you'll uh, be able to see that happen. Um, if you have a great mentor, it'll happen. Um, and we all know that it all depends on the mentor too, right, mm -hmm. sometimes. So every virtual firm has a mentor. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are groups of four candidates in a virtual firm, and each firm has a mentor as a practicing lawyer. And what we did uh, in this past round of the program, uh, by the midpoint, we switched the mentors. So we took the, the, the groups, and if they had um, mentor A, now they had mentor B. And we actually just switched them. Um, which we felt would give them greater exposure to different styles and different mentoring abilities and also greater access to folks in the profession. Uh, one of the points of feedback that we got today was that one of the mentors actually said, 
I really loved it and wished I could have stayed with my original firm because um, we developed such a great relationship and a rapport and the way that we had got our working skills down that um, they had to adapt when we switched the teams. Yeah. So it's something we're looking at as well to see uh, the benefits of leaving it the way it is or the benefits of switching to determine what makes sense for next year. But it's all the idea around trying to ensure that feedback's happening mm -hmm. and folks are getting it uh, from different perspectives. Great. Yeah. So what are some of the big learnings from this past year, of first year of LPP running? The biggest uh, I think I think we all learned was how much we can all accomplish together yeah. uh, in such a short period of time. I have to say, without the entire team that we have here that we've built around us, we couldn't have accomplished what we did. Mm -hmm. um, it was an extraordinary mountain to climb. Um, I was saying to you as I was giving you a tour of the new space here that uh, a year ago, April, it was just three of us. Chris Bentley, myself, Gina Alexandris, and actually Alex, our program assistant. That was it. And um, we basically began from zero with everything and had to build it all and make it work. And the fact that we were able to accomplish it, hit the target of getting 100% placements for everybody, 70-plus um, percent of the placements paid, and seeing the successes now that are coming from the hiring by some of our employers and the feedback we're getting, that's wonderful. That's great. Uh, what would we love like to improve upon as part of it, uh, there are a number of things we'd like to improve upon. Uh, one of the big things is trying to introduce this early hiring if it can work. Mm -hmm. uh, because we, we want folks, from my perspective, if I'm not here till midnight every night in December uh, trying to get placements done and my team as well, yeah. um, you know, it was it was crazy. It, we, you know, we were working ourselves flat out. In fact, one of my coordinators accumulated almost three full weeks of overtime work uh, uh, in order to uh, continue this process. And, um, you know, it's, it really is a, 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 a challenging time for us. This early uh, process may help with some of that. Uh, we also want to, when it comes to the training component, look at the things that we're doing. Are there ways that we can improve how the real estate closing function? Uh, it's a very complicated process in closing. Um, we also recognize that folks have to have a foundational set of knowledge to be able to do it. So if they haven't written the barrister or solicitor exam uh, before this time, or if they haven't taken real estate uh, during mm -hmm. law school, they might have a bit of a challenge with this. Um, so how can we refine it and make it work for them too? Um, how can we also maybe uh, uh, interject new modules into the process, uh, which is really four months, that will help folks to be able to further refine some of their skills that they want to work on. So if folks realize they want to have more writing opportunities or they want to have more uh, presentation opportunities or they're looking for a particular area of law where they want to have a bit more exposure, could the file be expanded down that track to give them a chance to be there? While they have seven different files and seven different areas of law that they're juggling, maybe there's a way to expand some of the scenarios in these files that would give a person an, an elective opportunity to pursue that even more and have it assessed. But these are uh, going to be a little bit of a complicated twist for us to manage because we also have to make sure that we have the capacity to be able to provide that feedback and have the assessors available to do that and the subject matter experts as well. So that's something we're considering and looking at uh, as part of this. We also want to make sure that candidates have an opportunity to continue to uh, network among themselves. Right. One of the things that we, uh, you know, while, while the, there are three in-person weeks here on campus that are mandatory uh, in the first week, the middle week, and toward the end, uh, candidates have, you know, asked if, if there be more opportunities for them to connect. They're connecting online all the time through their uh, WebExing and video conferencing, mm -hmm. but there are other ways for that to happen. And can we, can we work on that too? So we want to make sure we, we, we do that. When it comes to the employers, we want to make sure that we take some of their feedback in as well that they've been giving us to be able to see how we can refine not just the hiring process, but also some of the skills that they would like to see too. Um, and we recognize that an employer in an in-house setting in this particular area may have a different set of skills or areas that they want exposure to than someone who's in a private practice doing personal injury over here or someone in real estate over here or someone in a clinic setting here or in government over here. So we have a number of different uh, asks of the program, what can we deliver on successfully and do? So that's what we're considering at the moment. And the program is very scalable from a, from a training side because of the technology base um, it, 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 that, that's used. So, yeah. And I think that, that we talked about last time the fact that um, the LSUC has mandated you to accept any student who desires to go through the LSUC yes. process. That's correct. Um, so I guess my question is, where are the lawyers who are mentoring 
uh, coming from and sure. are you trying to acquire more? So we actually um, put a, a general wide call out to uh, the lawyers in Ontario asking for mentors last year. And um, it was a great response. In fact, we had doubled the amount of mentors, people asking to be mentors. So that was wonderful. So we were able to go through a process, um, a rolling process to be able to get our mentors assigned and connected to us uh, on that front. We also have some folks who have come through the process and, and said, you know, they really appreciated being part of it, but maybe the mentoring uh, duties that they had as part of being in a virtual firm were a little bit greater than they were able to spare time for. Because this is not just a one-off commitment, this is a weekly, and in some cases daily commitment when you're running a virtual firm and you're working on multiple files. So it's important that the mentors are there to be able to provide that feedback and to help them with their meetings. We also instituted managing partner meetings uh, during the training component where all candidates would get together on a Monday morning to talk with our uh, our, managing, our our senior managing partners, if you will, Chris and Gina, to be able to share ideas about what was happening. Mm -hmm. So there are ways for us to manage and help with that process. We expect that as we put the call out again this year for mentors, uh, we'll have a number of our mentors returning who've already asked to come back, and we'll have new folks who will want to come on board as well. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Um, so it is scalable, as you mentioned. Uh, how scalable it is uh, overall, let's say if this were to become for all licensees in the province, and we are the sole English provider at the moment, um, then we'd have to work on that. Uh, I think our, our mighty team that we have would need to grow, <laughs> grow quite a bit too. So, yeah. yeah. How have you seen the, uh, the perception of LPP evolve over the last year? I think uh, the proof has really been when the candidates hit the ground uh, in January. Uh, we were able to tell people what to expect, what we were doing, to describe the practical nature, the intensity of the program, to describe the fact that folks were talking with Clio, they were using LexisNexis, they were using Westlaw, they were using Terranet and TerraView. They were um, doing all the types of things that one we doing in practice with the latest tools. Uh, and we were able to tell folks that, and we, we did. We took ads out telling people that. We went on any number of presentations across the province doing that. Um, but we are part of the program. And, you know, they would hear what we had to say and, you know, there were still the views of before the program had even started that people had, right? That the challenges and the questions that they had in mind. So those were still present, you know, and in some cases uh, people were definitely um, open to hearing what it was about and, and many mentioned when we finished talking to them that the first words were, wow, but also they wish they had this when they came out of law school. But the question was still, would it really be the case when the folks got out to the placements? And I think now that we're seeing the results of what those 16 weeks of placements have done, we have a number of uh, folks who've been converted who are singing the praises of the program and willing to tell and share their stories about the fact that they chose the LPP over someone else in their program to hire or that they uh, want to participate again um, or that they're looking to find a way to bring the, keep that person on board because yeah. they, they, they see that need. So as these stories spread, I think, you know, there are 46,000 lawyers in Ontario. We need it spread as wide and far as possible to, to help counter some of those myths and those issues that are out there. Mm -hmm. And that idea that this is second tier. Um, I think, you know, it's with anything new that comes about, lawyers are generally conservative by nature. They're going to um, have some skepticism, some reticence. They're going to be um, a little bit, uh, you know, resistant to change because the articling has been around for X number of years and, and generations of folks have gone through it. But we also recognize that the legal market needs to change and adapt to the new realities of the modern world and where we're going when it comes to delivery of services and the need for access to justice, as well as the efficiencies that technology can bring to practice. And we're implementing those as part of what we're doing in the training component. So our candidates are able to bring some of that to the practices they're involved with and employers have been able to see that. And as we continue to refine the program and share the experiences, we hope that more and more folks will come around and, and see that. So it's not a second tier nature. It's mm -hmm. actually, you know, it's, it's a boot camp that everybody's gone through that they now prepares them for the real world that's out there, that's going to greet them and have the tools to adapt to the changing world that they're going to be getting involved with. Yeah, I like that idea of the LPP being able to be a little bit fluid and to react 
to and, and with the market and identify trends and sort of implement those on the fly. Whereas a traditional article experience in a big firm might not be able to do that in, this, in the same capacity because of the mechanics that have been in place for decades and decades. And Whether it's a big firm, a small firm, an uh, in-house department, a legal clinic, or, or a government department, um, you're right. Um, you know, they're running their business already, changing on the fly and trying new things uh, is a bit of a concern because you're running your business and there's a bit of a risk of adversity there. Uh, and also some time to get everything up to speed and implement it and having the resources and the um, and also the, the, the know-how to do it. Um, within our program, we have that luxury and ability because we have so many people that we can draw upon to help bring their new skills to bear. In fact, you know, our sister group here on, uh, on our floor now is the Legal Innovation Zone, which is an incubator program that supports new ideas and new ways of approaching the law and helping to simplify and use technology to accelerate the development within law that folks can, uh, whether it's access to justice or it's better and new ways of doing things um, on the business side of it as well as within the delivery side of it. And um, we are able to then take the ideas that they've come up with that make sense for us to implement and we can roll with it and do it uh, because we, we have that ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we hope that what we've given our candidates the exposure to will help them to take those ideas into the environments they're going into and lead to spurring some of that change. Um, and, you know, by doing it the way we're doing it, it, it's sufficiently gradual that it will help to give people comfort that change is possible. And at the same time as well, uh, we're equipping the folks to have that ability to, to deliver on it. Exciting. Makes yeah. me feel good. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what kind of feedback are you getting from the candidates about the program? Tremendous amount of feedback. In fact, yeah. we've asked candidates from the beginning to give us feedback throughout, um, solicited or unsolicited. Give us your <laughs> feedback for whenever you have a moment. And we've got volumes of feedback from them. Um, the biggest point of feedback that we got was we didn't think it was going to be this busy. Yeah. And... Um, we, you know, are, uh, we reminded folks and let them know that, you know, when you're in practice, it's going to be this way. And also, you're going to have to react to the unpredictable. And this is about the unpredictable and being able to react to it. And, and you know, we want you to develop that skill. Um, they've also shared with us uh, when they've been able to get into the replacements uh, that the LPP has prepared them well. They had the confidence and the ability to truly appreciate what was happening in the practice they got involved with and to be able to start doing things with confidence. Uh, they knew they had the skill and the ability and, and they developed that during the training component. We had other candidates say that this was nothing like law school and they are so grateful for it because it gave them a chance to really get their hands dirty and to develop their course skills that they wanted to. And I think like that's extremely important going back to Pierre's point. Sorry to interrupt. Sure. But, um, I found as a summer student uh, working in a firm last year that for the most part, I was doing things for the very first time. So uh, an assignment would come on my desk and I was learning what the assignment was and what the law was and then executing the assignment all within that three-day time frame when right. the deliverable had to be Or three-hour time frame right. sometimes. <laughs> so that, that act, if I didn't have to break the ice yeah. with, the, with the learning, then that would have been you know, fantastic. And you know, for the most case, that was... Uh, yeah, for them, just not the way it was, well, based well, on academia. Anyways. One of our employers commented at lunch today that um, they were so relieved that they could hand off a file and the person could run with it. Yeah. Um, and they had the confidence to do that because uh, they wouldn't have had the confidence to do that with maybe one of their folks who came straight into articling for them. Um, and that was wonderful to hear because it really meant that we had done our job in the training component and that uh, everybody who participated in developing it, assessing it, and uh, helping to put the files together really uh, did a great job in, in getting folks ready. So it's, it, it truly is a, about those skills and understanding. The other major point of feedback that the candidates uh, provided us with was the fact that um, in, in getting ready for their placements and, and what was about to come toward them when they were in there, they knew what to expect when I came to the unpredictability. This wasn't a fear anymore mm-hmm. of what could be next. In fact, it's just what's next, let's get it done, sort of idea. I've experienced this already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, that can only happen with, with experience and with doing it. So it's worked out. It's worked out. There are things we can improve upon, as I mentioned, that yeah. they've asked for. Yeah. 
more opportunities to get together, more opportunities uh, for them to maybe pursue some areas that they want to pursue uh, in greater detail during that. And we're going to try, we're going to figure out how that's possible and see what we can do. Um, it's, it's all about making it better. And uh, that's what we're working on. Have you, have you thought about streams in, uh, during the LPP four months where, say, somebody comes in for just their interest is criminal law yeah. and that's all they want to do? And they can go in the criminal law streams. Similarly, somebody for real estate, somebody for running their own firm. It's a very fair question. And in fact, um, when we developed the program, in soliciting um, ideas from the entire bar, uh, from in-house to private practice, government and clinic, we had everyone give us a number of points of feedback. And we took those common points of feedback when it came down to the core skills that we would program into these seven areas of law that we're working on. But we also received feedback uh, from both placements and candidates. Could we have streams? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe if, let's just say, a business law firm were to put all of their articling candidates through our program, would we have a stream to be able to allow them to uh, get the foundational and then focus in more on, on a business uh, program? Mm-hmm. Uh, could we do that? That's something we are exploring and looking at. Right now, we have programmed around... Um, as many of the areas as we could. Uh, and we recognize that if we're going to um, have further specialization, we may need streaming to, to allow us to do that. And it's something we're open to. We just have to figure out the logistics. Does it mean adding an additional file completely? So it's not just seven files, but eight files mm-hmm. that contain now a, a, a focus that's a particular area, whether it's in business, criminal, family, mm-hmm. environmental, whatever it is. Um, and can we make that work within the four-month period that we have to work with? So that's going to be part of how we, we juggle that. So it is something we're, we're looking at and trying to figure out. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, one other question that people, from a student's perspective, when, when a student is deciding to go into LPP, one of the big considerations in finance is after incurring a lot of debt while you were in uh, university uh, or going through law school and then finances. So I was wondering if you have had any discussion with OSAP in regards to sure. them starting to cover LPP or that's maybe in future. So while candidates are in the training component, the four months from uh, August to December, um, their OSAP uh, does not continue to accrue. Okay. So the interest is suspended during that period, much like it is during school. So it's suspended during that period. Okay. When they move into their work placement, if it's a paid work placement, just like if articling work, it's a paid articling role, um, you know, the it starts ticking away. The counting starts to tick at that phase. If it's an unpaid role, mm-hmm. uh, it they get to be exempted still during that placement oh, wow. period. So we have been able to work that out. Uh, that only applies to folks who have incurred Ontario debt. Okay. We have had uh, candidates who are in the program from um, uh, other provinces where they may not have that relationship in place, and it's up to that province to determine if they can do it. Uh, with their program, we uh, OSAP, uh, we've been working with them, and um, you know they were able to come around on that point for us. But um, as for other provinces, it would be up to those provinces to determine if they can mm-hmm. do the same thing. That's awesome. And the and the the stop on the interest is both on the Ontario part of the debt as well as the federal part of the debt that you decide. I couldn't answer that question in detail because I wasn't part of the negotiations mm-hmm. or discussion. My general understanding is that it's for the amount that they've incurred. So whatever whatever that is. Uh, I think, so on the website, it says explicitly interest-free, payment-free status. I've been in that status before, and it's for the entire entire OSAP loan, federal, yeah, federal in Ontario, Uh, which is actually an advantage over going to Arctic now because we start to incur interest on the full portion um, as of, well, three or four days ago when we graduated. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and the funny part of this too... I it's think, happening right now. We, we, yeah, exactly, as we sit here, right? <laughs> um, the, the, the part of this too about articling though to keep in mind is that there are a number of unpaid articling jobs that are out there too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this works for them in that role, if, if they're an unpaid articling job, if someone can get that uh, moratorium to continue for them. Whereas in our case, we know we've negotiated for our program and that's what happens mm-hmm. in our case when someone's in the training component for the four months and if they end up in an unpaid opportunity for the four months of the unpaid opportunity. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could talk about, uh, just before we wrap it up, some of the trends that you're seeing uh, in the legal industry. Uh, I know this is a little bit off topic, LBP, but I think you're really well positioned to speak to that. And uh, something else I was thinking of 
maybe just in terms of the LPP, is that I mean, there could be a big influx of American law grads who might want to be licensed into the Ontario Bar because now all of a sudden you don't have to find that employment connection to yeah. get the articling. You can automatically come in through the LPP. Yeah. You just have to write the bar. That's a tremendous advantage. So, so let me, uh, before I answer the question about trends, I'll just step back for a quick moment and tell you a bit about the breakdown of our candidate pool. So uh, the current pool that we just finished with that are uh, wrapping up their placements and then getting ready for our alumni programming, because in fact we actually have alumni programming that we're launching for the first time because cool. we have our first alumni Congratulations. <laughs> so next Wednesday I'm delivering our first uh, round of alumni programming as part of what are the next steps after the program. So folks uh, are leaving here with the toolkit to be able to allow them to continue to move forward in developing their skills, uh, stay on top of the profession they're becoming a part of, and at the same time as well, be in a position to have the tools necessary for those who are seeking opportunities as well, both traditional practicing opportunities and non-traditional opportunities as well. Um, I believe it's important that everybody be aware of what's out there for them and to make a decision around what they want to focus on. Um, but the pool itself that we had this past round uh, was approximately 50% uh, Canadian law grads, so folks who went to Canadian law schools coast to coast, um, from pretty much every single school in Canada, uh, law, uh, common law English school in Canada. So that was half of our candidate pool, mm -hmm. graduates from there. The other half of our pool were primarily, primarily Canadians who went abroad to law schools in the US, the UK, and Australia. And then a fraction of that group were lawyers who were educated abroad, practiced, and are now relocating to Ontario to continue their life and, and build on their practice. Um, so our program caters to all groups and it provides opportunity on that front. Um, how it continues to evolve, we have had questions from people who say, could I come from BC, let's say, and get my license in Ontario and head right back to BC under mobility and go ahead and start practicing? You know, that's their choice if they choose to do that. They have to figure out if BC will allow them to immediately then mm -hmm. roll right into things, right? Um, with uh, down south, could it happen for an, an American who wants to get a license in Ontario and then go back to the United States to practice? Well, I believe um, there are going to be some complications because I think what they would have to do is also maybe write a bar. They don't get waved in. And once they write one particular bar, maybe that opens up some other doors for them. So as um, it continues to evolve, we'll see how it works. I know that there are some states that are experimenting and looking at it. In fact, I think there's one so far that has considered doing an LPP-type training, which would exempt the people who don't want to write that bar. If they do this program, they are now they get their license instead of having to write the bar. And then Can you see what state? Off the top of my head, I can't remember which state okay. actually, because it came up last week when I was in Chicago. This was one of the topics that had come up, and uh, there were so many ideas flying around. In fact, I was looking this morning to try to find it because I'm looking forward to trying to see if we can get that group involved in our presentation for Boston next year. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting how it plays out. Um, we we are primarily focused though on people who want to be licensed in Ontario and practicing in Ontario. Mm -hmm. um, your, your placement must be in Ontario to, to be able to, to, to complete our program. Um, if you don't want to be in a placement in Ontario, you want to be outside of Ontario in another part of Canada, or you want to be out of the country internationally to do something, there are routes for that currently under articling, uh, national articles and other programs that the articling uh, uh, group at Law Society can inform them of and help them with. But our program is solely focused on Ontario, so we'll see how it evolves. Fantastic. So all the students who went through the LPP program will be in the, the Law Society Convocation in May and June. Right? So all, all the candidates who are eligible to be called in June. And what I mean by that is, like both of you are studying right now for the <coughs> June Barrister's Solicitor exam. And when I was back in private practice or at my, my former firm, that's what we encouraged. And it's exactly what we encouraged in this program as well. Mm -hmm. Write the June uh, exams, get it out of the way. So you can focus on what you're doing during your articling or focus on what you're doing during the training component and during the work placement in the case of the LPP. Not everybody takes everyone's advice, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to have some folks who 
haven't written that yet. They're writing it after the LPP, okay. which then means they won't be eligible to be called in June. They'll be called in the fall, let's say, if that's the case. So uh, right now we're finding out uh, how many of those folks are, are going to be doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, we've tried our best to keep up with it in our, in our roster and our listing, but um, you know people change their mind all the time. We have one candidate who was at one of the uh, large firms uh, doing her placement decided to, uh, first she was going to do it during the training component. It was too busy, delayed it. Right, didn't write November, was then going to do it in the uh, March uh, sitting, and then realized that the workplace was too busy, so delayed it again. So now, as a result of reality coming into play, won't be called in June, but will be called in the next in the next mm -hmm. crowd afterward. So it's going to be, uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. But we will have a, a large number being called uh, this coming uh, June, and we're going to be there as well for them at the call. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I didn't answer one of your questions actually with trends. Oh, I, I was going to let you get trends, away with trends, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've seen Richie and I've seen you and I'm like, where about trends? What's going on? Well, one of the biggest things that we can say when it comes to trends that we're seeing is that um, practitioners are trying to deliver services, and you, you all know this already, uh, to clients in a faster, uh, better, and more effective way. Mm -hmm. um, they're value-oriented. Clients are you know, feeling the pinch as well, and they want services delivered in a way that makes sense for them. So that is the biggest trend that's happening, and that trend is motivating much of the change within our profession, whether it be away from the billable hour, to task-based billing, to alternative ways of billing, to um, different ways of assigning project work. And in fact, um, one of the big things that we discussed uh, uh, when I was at the Chicago conference was looking at the new jobs in law. So we all think of law when we think about going into law as having a lawyer. That's what you're becoming. But there's a whole spectrum of opportunity within the legal profession that isn't just the traditional lawyer in this particular box. They're legal specialists and technicians that are being developed. They're roles for uh, project management that occurs to help ensure that the right person is doing the right task on a given assignment or a given um, uh, client matter. And that's what we're seeing occur. We're seeing the greater specialization um, and the right people delivering the right services. So it's not the lawyer trying to do everything him or herself when it's very inefficient. So whatever their billing rate is, 300 an hour, 400 an hour, or 700 an hour, and they're doing everything from suit to nuts, they're now actually getting specialists involved, folks who have been legally trained as either lawyers or paralegals or other uh, technicians coming in and delivering their portion of the service and doing their part of the task at a different rate and a different cost. And clients want to see that because they want to bring those bills down. Interesting. The other part of this too is that it's spurring the use of technology in, in a greater way. So on campus here now as part of the Legal Innovation Zone, we have access to Watson, the artificial uh, intelligence machine developed by IBM that you all probably saw on Jeopardy. Um, and you know the Ross Group has developed a way to conduct legal research uh, using uh, um, uh, Watson. Now, uh, is there a way to harness that power to do other things as well? And that's what our zone is looking at as part of it. Um, so there are ways of using technology that will make uh, access to lawyers, delivery of service in better faster and more value-oriented ways. Um, we have one of our groups that's here with us in the incubator in the zone uh, that's working on booking lawyers the way you book a restaurant table. Um, that open access so someone can see the rates and specialties of folks and be able to book right into that lawyer's calendar that, okay, I got a problem and I need someone to help me with this and here's how it's going to go. Rather than trying to go through the traditional route of who do I turn to? Mm -hmm. Here's a legal directory. Now, how do I decide who? And, you know, getting reviews on those people as well as part of it. So it's using tech to open up the profession to our clients and to the public, but also using it to be able to deliver things more efficiently. And uh, that's the big push. And we're trying with all of the tech that we're using in our program to keep pushing that envelope. Whatever we can do to make this experience better for our candidates and equip them with the skills for the 21st century lawyer and for the future of the profession to be able to adapt, uh, we want to do. 
Good. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see the future of um, the really? OPP for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's been an amazing spurt of growth in the past <laughs> year, essentially. A few more gray hairs for me. You know? <laughs> uh, this, the, we, that, we had a startup perception of the LPP yeah. uh, during our, our first interview, and it still has a bit of that, uh, bit of that vibe going on. There's a really good energy. It's a modern space. Um, it's open and airy and intelligent and forward-thinking, and uh, it's really cool. It's going to be fun to see what the ambassadors of this program start doing with it and uh, as they move into the profession. We're looking forward to it and we hope that we can update you again and let you know how things continue to shake out. We've got another two years under uh, the current pilot and then a two-year extension after that if that's what happens. Um, So we'll be able to have a lot of data to sink our teeth into. Thank you both so much. Thank you for your time. My pleasure, my pleasure. If you like what you just heard and would like to hear more, subscribe to